0: hello good evening good day everybody welcome to the 90th live episode of ask abhijit i hope you are all doing very well uh as you know today is a live video chat session which means that i'm going to be taking video chat uh, questions by video chat so let me share the link and as always there are some rules i hope you guys will uh, let me show the rules okay first of all please don't enter the video chat if you have entered Appeared on video chat before. Let's give let's give the uh, chance to new people. Secondly, only one question per person, please. Thirdly, keep your questions short. Don't go on for hours. And fourthly, no suggestions, please. If you have suggestions, put them in the comments below. So let me, with that said, let me ch- uh, share the video chat link. One second. Okay, where is the link? Uh, right. One second, there we are. Now we should be able to see it. And let me pin it on top so that everybody can see it. There you go. So it should be visible now. And uh, let's wait for some people to come in. So uh, I am hoping there will be be more questions about Ukraine, about the geopolitical situation there. Uh, I obviously had a live stream about that yesterday, lots of interesting questions and uh, lots of new developments have happened in the past 24 hours since the last live stream for instance we are now finding out that the ukrainians are being very brutal towards indian students there indian students are essentially being kept in ukraine as hostages they are being they are not being allowed to cross over into poland People of other nationalities, of other European nationalities, are being allowed to cross into Poland, but Indian students are being beaten up, brutalized. Even girls are being beaten up and they are not being allowed to cross over into Poland. So they are essentially, the Ukrainians are essentially keeping the Indian students as hostages and they are beating them up. So yesterday, after the live stream, I got lots of comments about people saying that I am supporting Russia, I am pro dictatorship, I am... uh, you know that sort of thing and we all st- we stand with uh, poor innocent helpless ukraine i wonder how many of you feel the same way today i'm sure some of you still feel that way based on principles well what can i do about that principles that's not how the world works on the basis of principles anyway anyway let's let's uh, let's take some questions uh let's uh, let's bring in mr deepanshu guys if you want me to take your questions you need to show your faces okay those of you who are waiting in the in the wings please show your faces otherwise i will not bring you any all right let's bring it to, with let's start with mr deepanshu hello namaste sir
1: namaste namaste deepanshu how are you doing where are you from i am sure. waiting from since last year
0: uh, okay, great, great, great to see you. Where are you from? Where are you?
1: Sir, I am from Jawalpur, Madhya Pradesh.
0: Very nice to meet you, sir. What's your question,
1: sir? My question is that ki, when the nine eleven happened in in America, then American soldier entered in Pakistan and killed Osama bin Laden. And recently, the U.S. U.S. Army killed ISIS new. Commander-in-chief. I don't know what is what is his name. Okay. But we all mm-hmm. know about that. Dao the prime is the mastermind of 1992 Mumbai bomb blast. And 26 attack happened. Mastermind is living in Pakistan. Then why Indian government is not killing all of them? Yeah, good question.
0: Very good question. The thing is, Am- India is still not America. America is the global superpower. If they want, they can destroy Pakistan next week. They can. They have threatened Pakistan in the past to bomb them back to the Stone Age. And the Pakistanis can't retaliate against America. In the case of India, it's a different situation. We are not as powerful as the Americans, right? We are not. We are a much smaller country in, in terms of military power, economic power and all that. And secondly, uh, we are right next door to Pakistan. Pakistan could possibly use the nuclear option, right? We will obviously retaliate and destroy them, but we don't want to lose a single human being in our country. So there are certain things that are preventing us from taking such actions, right? We are still not powerful enough. It's not like, okay, let's send, the, it's not like the government has the option that let's send a person, but we don't feel like sending. It's not like that. There are lots of considerations. There is a lot of risk analysis that you have to do. And right now, India is not powerful enough to do such a thing. So that is the reason why, even though the terrorists are sitting in Pakistan, as we know very well, we are unable to kill them, as of today. So, sir,
1: in future, India can do that. In In the
0: future, India will have to grow grow larger, grow more economically and militarily powerful, become a genuine local, regional or, or global power. Then we can do it. Not yet, not now. All right, sir. Thank you. you. Nice meeting you. Good question. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Who is next? Let's bring in Mr. Joseph Matthew. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you doing, sir? Where are you from?
2: I am from Kota Kerala.
0: Okay. Nice to meet you, sir. What's your question?
2: Um, Considering the fact Russia, it it doesn't seem Russia will stop uh, at any cost. So why does Ukraine believe that uh, holding back Indian uh, students will benefit them?
0: Very good question. Very good question. This is an excellent question. Here's what's happening. The Ukrainians, they are still hoping that the Western countries will help them. Maybe NATO will help them in some way. The Germans have, have promised to send some tanks. The French are, are, are promising to send some arms and ammunition and all things like that. So they are hoping that the more they delay the Russians the more the tide will turn in their favor. And the Russians are being very cautious in the sense that they are trying their best not to have any civilian casualties. They are trying their best not to destroy the cities. If they want, they can have Kiev in the next 60 minutes. If they just bomb it into the dust, they can do it. They don't want civilian casualties. And also, the Russians will never ever harm an Indian citizen. So, the Ukrainians are holding our citizens as hostages on Ukrainian soil, so that the Russians will be be stopped, or the Russians will have to be very careful. They are using Indian citizens as human shields, like Saddam Hussein did in the 1990s with American citizens. Right? so this is the kind of cynical and evil and cruel behavior the ukrainians are are adopting with respect to indian citizens they know the russians don't want to touch the um, harm a single indian citizen so they are taking advantage of that and holding young kids students as hostages they need to pay for this so i he hope that a... that explains yeah
2: yet why is russia being demonized more than
0: ukraine Because the entire social media is controlled by the U.S. Right. So, and all the media outlets that we consume in India are all English speaking outlets. uh, There is a certain Indian TV channel that everybody loves these days. They say that uh, this channel has been reporting Ukraine for a very long time. But please understand this thing. I will not name this channel. But this Indian news channel is not reporting the Indian perspective. They are reporting the American perspective of the of the war. No news is factual. It is all colored. It is all full of uh, various kinds of agendas and opinions, right? So that's how it is. So that's why the media is not reporting the factual news. They are showing everything as if uh, in a certain way. You know, it's all propaganda. It's not news.
2: Thank you, sir. Okay,
0: sir. Yeah, thank you. Good question. Thank you. Bye. Okay, who else do we have? Um, uh, Let's bring in Mr. Avik. Hello,
3: hello, sir. Namaste. It's a privilege to listen to you, sir. In past two months, past three months, I have learned more than entire life of like not entire life, but in past fifteen years, in comparison to last three months listening to you, it's an privilege, Very sir. Thank you. Where are you from, sir? Coming to my question, sir, from Allahabad. some prayer Okay, great, great.
0: Nice to from meet Prayagraj. you. What's your question? Yes,
3: sir. If we were to take Pakistan and other countries, let's say after 20 years, hmm. what should be our approach? How should we do that? And if we Good were question. to make that Akhand Bharat again, mm-hmm. adopted from your okay. title of yesterday's video. Sir.
0: Right, right. Good question. So see, the thing is this. Right now, we cannot make Akhand Bharat because the other regions which were in the past part of our civilization those regions they are now culturally very different from India and the kind of culture they have they hate they despise Indian culture so as of today if we assimilate those regions even if we can it's going to cause lots of clashes and lots of uh, what we call in India communal riots and tensions and all that so right now it is not a It is not practical, even if we are able to defeat Pakistan, to reintegrate Pakistan into India. It's not practical right now. It's going to change the demographics of India very badly. So what India needs to do, let's say in the next 20 years we are able to end the rule, the the dictatorial tyrannical rule of the Pakistan military. What we need to do is we need to give independence to Sindh, give independence to Balochistan, give independence to Pashtunistan and to Punjab and, and keep them under our protection. And slowly, slowly, see, Akhanda Bharat may be not possible for the next 100 years. Okay, we cannot uh, simply reintegrate a territory because then we are going to have all these cultural and religious problems. We don't want that. So what India can do is right now end the tyrannical rule of the Pakistan military, which is brutalizing its own citizens. Give independence, make two, three, four uh, small independent countries out of Pakistan, like the Americans did in Yugoslavia and in the Balkans. So we need to balkanize Pakistan first, then slowly, slowly re-civilize them because right now they are used to the brutal army rule and they behave like barbarians, They behave like uh, only might is right. That sort of thing. So it is a long-term process. The the project of creating Akhand Bharat, if we want to do it, it has to be a long-term project. We are not going to see Akhand Bharat in our generation, in our lives, maybe. Maybe our descendants will see it, maybe 100 years from today. But what we can do is end the brutal rule of the Pakistan army and maybe in the future take care of some other countries, like we have Taliban in Afghanistan, which again is brutal. So that's what we can do. It is going to be a long process. So that's what I can say. Right? Thank you, sir. Thank you for all your efforts, sir. You've you so educated much. Nice me meeting you. a lot, sir. Thanks. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you. Nice meeting you. Bye. Okay. Uh, shall we bring in um, Mr. Vinay Shah? Uh, hello, sir. Hello. Hello. hello sir. I'm, from, from, I'm from Bangalore, sir. So how are you? I'm as well I'm good. good. Mm-hmm. So, question, my question bro? is sir, in terms of the Military power of Russia and Ukraine. Mm. As you see the air attacks which are currently happening, they say uh, the aircrafts like Sukhoi 25, 27, 35 has been used by Russia to attack. Whereas in the news the past three weeks they used to say uh, Ukraine used to have the what do you call it, the Soviet era aircrafts. Mm-hmm. They told mm-hmm. they were trying to modernize it. So I would have, I would mm-hmm. like to know what is the current situation. If you have any idea as to
0: what weapons have been used for the airstrikes. Yeah, so the uh, Ukraine was part of the USSR. So they have inherited a lot of ancient uh, Soviet era machinery and weaponry. So they have, um, I believe they have Sukhoi aircraft at least. I'm not sure exactly which fighter, what is the model? What are the models of the aircraft that they have? But they do have a reasonably good air force, which has been mostly destroyed in the initial cruise missile airstrikes. So, when the, before the Russian troops moved into Ukraine, there were these uh, cruise missile strikes that were carried out on various military installations, on airports and all that by the Russians, in order to minimize the fighting, minimize the civilian casualties. So, I have seen photographs, I don't know where it is to, right now, but I have seen photographs of, uh, of uh, Ukrainian uh, airfields that have been hit by these cruise missile strikes, by artillery barrages, and many of these fighter aircraft that, that the Ukrainians have or had, have been damaged or destroyed. They may still have some of those, but I am sure the Russians will not allow them to fly for long. So, one can assume, I don't know what social media and the Western media is saying, but one can safely assume that the first phase of the attack would be to neutralize all the air assets of Ukraine and ensure complete Russian air dominance over the Ukrainian airspace. So, the media is reporting so-and-so fighter plane is flying in the sky, and they have been giving out this fake news that some ghost plane, ghost jet was uh, shooting down Russian aircraft and all. It's all fake news. I think Russia has achieved air control over the Ukrainian airspace. And all that remains is to proceed uh, slowly and uh, take control of the country. So I don't think the Ukrainian Air Force stands in any significant numbers. And the Russians are exercising a great deal of restraint. They have very powerful weapons that can reduce cities to rubble in 30 minutes. They're not doing it. So let's wait and watch how long it takes. But I don't see this uh, situation lasting for long. But unfortunately, they are using Indian students as hostages, as as human shields. So that may be one of the factors that's delaying the Russians.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Thank you, sir. It's been good uh, seeing you having good knowledge in many fields. Uh, I hope to achieve it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank
0: you Thank you. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Bye. All right. Uh, uh, let's bring in. Uh, let's bring in somebody who has not come in before. Let's bring in Mr. Rahul. Hello.
5: Hello, sir. Namaste.
0: Namaste. Namaste. Uh, Where uh, are
5: you sir, from, sir? I, I am from Delhi, sir.
0: Okay. What's your question?
5: Uh, sir, I have two questions. You can answer any one of them. Uh, my first question is uh, like how we can undo the state formation in India. Like right now, state formation uh, had been done on language basis. How we can undo it? This is my first question. My second question is despite having the majority like uh, current government has uh, too much majority right now, despite having that, still like uh, they are unable to implement laws like CA is not implemented. Even they try to uh increase the age of girls, that was also not implemented. Why this happens? Why this good, government good is question. able to function?
0: Okay, let's take question number two. Uh, why is the government not able to do what it seeks to do, even though it has a big majority in parliament? Well, these are there are very significant and serious limitations to what we call democracy. We believe that once you elect somebody, they are in power, they can do anything they want. That's not the case. There are so many uh, invisible restrictions that they have to face from within the country, from without the country. For instance, we have the unelected judiciary, which prevents the government from doing lots of things. The government, in the the previous term, uh, they amended the constitution and they brought in the NJAC Act, which is a, a reform of the judiciary. And the Supreme Court just threw it out. Even though the constitution was legally, properly changed, all the states were taken into consideration, and the Supreme court, court just threw that out. Is that democratic? So you can see democracy has very serious limitations in this country and, and across the world. So if you believe that the government has all the powers, that is not the case. Then I'm just giving you one example. And then there are all these NGOs in India which are funded from other countries, which means these are foreign interests acting in our country, and they have the right to do PILs in the judiciary, and the judiciary takes it seriously, and then they issue directives to the government. So judiciary is one thing, and there are so many other things also. I mean, if you do certain things in, in India, then foreign interests will engineer all kinds of riots and demonstrations. You have Amnesty International, we have various other organizations that are funded by the West and by other countries. The farmers' protests were engineered from outside. There are so many examples of foreign interference in India. And if the Indian government takes certain steps, then it will be demonized. And uh, they will try to engineer a, a regime change. Who knows, like they've done so many times in the past in other countries. So that's why the Indian government right now, because right now India is not a very powerful country our gdp is just about 3 trillion dollars which is a middle level country actually so today india is not powerful enough to push back against these foreign forces who have their agents and their powers i'm not i'm not specifying anything but you know they have lots of these things with their agencies inside india india needs to rise india needs to grow more powerful it become it needs to become a 10 trillion dollar economy at least when we reach that stage, then we will be able to push back and it will be harder for the world to try and criticize India and try to uh, engineer changes within India. So there are all these restrictions and problems that the government faces. This is not what Indian citizens, the common citizen can see or understand unless you dive deep into it and you have many years of experience of seeing the patterns. But that's what it is. So democracy is just in name. <laughs> it's not really a democracy. That's how it is. Okay, sir thank you so much sir thank you so much thank you nice meeting you thank you bye okay uh, let's bring in rishab hello uh,
6: hello sir thank you for have you been me. here before
0: have you been have you been on video chat before
7: sir it was two week before
0: i i have i have clearly mentioned in the rules please give chance to new people sir please i'm requesting i want uh, okay. to give the chance to new people uh, okay. okay i apologize but i need to Give it to somebody else. Thank you. I have clearly mentioned in the rules. Please don't enter the chat if you have entered before. I want to give chance to new people. Okay. Let's bring in Anish. Hello, Anish. Hello, sir. Are you able to hear me? I can hear you, sir. Where are you from? Yes, yeah, sir. Hi, sir. I am a big fan of yours. The,
8: I am from Mumbai, Maharashtra. So right. basically, my uh, question is, uh, you know, uh, right now in uh, in 2022 and 2021 end. Uh, basically, there are many invasions. Means uh, like Afghanistan has been taken over by uh, Taliban. Then uh, right mm-hmm. now Ukraine has been taken over by Russia. So is there a possibility that uh, you know China can invade Taiwan to today? You know, means uh, this year only, and you know take over the control because it has already taken the control of Hong Kong and uh, Tibet is already under China. So is it uh, possible that slowly we are merging, going towards you know World War Three kind of situation because one by one, you know, one one countries are uh, moving yeah. ahead. They are, you know, like chessboard. They are playing. One one countries are going ahead, and so just wanted to know a view about this.
0: Okay, so essentially, what you're asking is whether China will possibly invade Taiwan in the coming days, right? Yeah. So, okay, so see, Tibet happened a long time ago in the 1950s. Hong Kong was given legally to the, to the Chinese by the by the British, right? So that is again not an invasion. Hong Kong is not an invasion. Tibet happened in the 1950s. The only invasion that's happened recently is Ukraine by Russia. And, yeah, so it is certainly possible. See, now we are witnessing that the NATO alliance has not been able to do much about Ukraine. right? Uh, The Americans have essentially abandoned Ukraine, even though they promised them everything. They promised them all kinds of things, but they have abandoned Ukraine. So we can see the visible decline of the Western powers that are led by the US. So, it is possible that the Chinese may feel encouraged by that and they may perhaps decide at some point in time in the coming days that maybe the time is right to take over Taiwan or at least attempt an invasion of Taiwan. But of course, the Chinese are also not stupid. They're not fools. They know that America is treaty bound to defend Taiwan. So if you start a shooting match, if you if you start a kinetic war, uh, once it starts, you don't have control about what, ha- or, or what happens. So if they do it, it could lead to... An escalation, a gradual snowballing of the violence and the fighting, which could become what you like, what you said, World War Three. Once you start something, it's no longer in, under your control. The planning and all the all that you can do. Once you start, you know you don't know what's going to happen. So I don't think World War Three would, if it starts, if it does happen, I don't think it's going to happen in Europe because uh, it's it's most likely a... going to happen it's most likely going to happen in the asia pacific region if the chinese begin the thing right now the chinese are in the asia pacific region essentially to some extent encircled by the americans on the eastern side you have japan that's a ring of that's a chain of islands on the southern side you have the, the philippines taiwan all that so they are essentially ring fenced by the americans by american allies they want to break that so it's up to them when they decide the time is right but if they do it it's, it could possibly lead to what we can call World War III. On the other hand, they may not decide to do it right now. And they may try to push uh, put pressure on India by doing uh, by escalating the border uh, tensions and by doing incursions into Indian territory, all that. It is a possibility. It is likely that the Chinese in the coming days, weeks, month, months may escalate the border issue with India. It is possible. So we have to wait and watch and we have to be prepared for these scenarios. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Nice meeting you. Good question. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Let's bring in Mr. Atharva. Hello.
4: Hello, sir.
5: Sir, finally. How are you doing? Sir, I am fine, sir. How are you, sir?
0: I am good. Where are you from?
5: Sir, I am from Kanpur, Uttar Pradesh, sir.
0: Nice to meet you, sir. What's your question?
5: Sir, my question is that what is the difference between a civil engineer and an architect?
0: A civil engineer and an architect. What's the difference? A civil engineer is somebody who, uh, that's a good, <laughs> this is an interesting question. So, okay. What's an engineer? An engineer is somebody who uses the principles of science. Let's say Newton and mechanics or all that, and applies that into the real world. So engineers actually build things. Engineers are builders. So a civil engineer is typically a person who builds roadways, bridges, uh, flyovers railway lines, things like that. Right? So they are involved in the construction and building and uh, of, of actual uh, public works. That's that's a civil engineer. An architect is essentially a designer. Architects create blueprints of buildings, of residential buildings, of, of, of multi storied buildings, of office buildings, commercial buildings, all that, railway stations, air, airports, all that. So architects are designers. They give you the design So the civil engineer will take the blueprint that the architect has created and the civil engineer will bring that into reality. They will actually construct it. And of course, they will not go and do it themselves. They oversee the the workers who are doing it. But it is the responsibility of the civil engineer to actually implement the blueprint and the design that the architect has created. So that's the difference. Okay, sir. Sir, So
9: if uh, I'm... One question. Sir, Sir, it is related
0: to that. Only one question. Only one question. Okay. Rules are rules, Thanks. sir. I, I want to give a chance to everybody. All right.
6: Yes, sir. Thank you. you sir.
0: Thank you, sir. Thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Okay, one question per person. Please don't try to, to, take liberties. Yes. Okay. Let's let's give everybody a chance. Let's bring in Mr. Dhruv. Hello.
10: Hello. Good evening, sir.
0: Good evening, Dhruv. Where are you from,
10: sir? I hail from Noida, Uttar Pradesh.
0: Mm-hmm. Nice to meet you, sir. What's your question?
10: Hmm? Should India send back Ukrainian tourists stranded in Goa to their respective homeland in retaliation of what they are doing to the Indian students there in Ukraine?
0: No, I think India, yeah, good question. It's a good question. Uh, They are brutalizing our people and all that. See, we have a certain culture of our own. We do not touch harmless I mean uh, innocent people. we don't harm people unnecessarily. I know that's what we're, they are doing. I would not recommend that India should take similar actions against the Ukrainian citizens in India and we should not try to repatriate them also. Uh, what we can do what we, what the government of India needs to focus on is to bring back our citizens from Ukraine safely. And we need to put pressure on the Ukrainian government. And if it doesn't happen, maybe we should send some paratroopers there to liberate our our citizens and to assist the Russians if if it's needed. And what we can also do is we can possibly deport the Ukrainian citizens from India at their expense. So that's what we can do. I would not suggest that we should uh, take any other action against the Ukrainian citizens because that's not how we do things. Right? So so that's what I can say. That's what I would suggest.
10: Okay, sir. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Um, let's let's bring in Arijit. Hello. Namaskar Hello, sir. sir. Namaskar, sir. Namaskar. 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 Where are you from? So, uh, Kolkata. Uh,
9: okay, what's so, your question? No. So, my question is, uh, like, in the ancient times, Bengal was, you uh, know, the powerhouse of Buddhism. It housed Vikram, Shila, and uh, Nalanda. Uh, and uh, it had monks like Atisha who were you know, very influential and had influences in Tibet. And uh, they helped create uh, Tibetan Buddhism, essentially. So, my question is, how did this rich tradition of Buddhism come to an end in Bengal? Like, there are only 1% hmm. of uh, ba- Bengali Buddhists. I know just
11: one family of Bengali Buddhists. So, I would yeah, like yeah. to answer.
0: The uh, answer uh, is very simple. The answer is very simple. It is the Turks who destroyed Buddhism. See, the Turks... See, first of all, there is no difference between Buddhism and Hinduism. The British have created this idea that Buddhism, Hinduism are separate. Now, how did the both both the practices disappear from India is the question. And you're talking about Bengal. Bengal is part of India. So what happened is this, these Turks, they invaded India from Central Asia. They came from Central Asia. Central Asia used to be, it was, it used to be part of the Indo sphere so you have if you look into if you look at the uh, the archaeological sites in central asia you will find buddhist stupas everywhere destroyed buddhist stupas you will also find destroyed hindu temples that have been repurposed into other religious buildings and so on so the turks were familiar with indian culture in central asia and the flavor of indian culture that was really prevalent in central asia was was what we call buddhism today so they wanted to disapprove and destroy Buddhism from wherever they found it. So they, they were familiar with the statue of the Buddha. They used to call it the Buddha. They called it Buddha. So they used that word for all murtis, for all idols. So when they came into India, they went after all manifestations of what we call Buddhism today. And they eradicated all visible manifestations of Buddhism from India. You will not find it. It's rare to find a single unbroken Buddha statue in, in India. From that period, from a thousand years or more before. Mm-hmm. Because the Turks decapitated all the statues, they decapitated all the monks, they destroyed all the universities where Buddhism or both the Dharma was taught in addition to other things. And that's what they did. They destroyed Nalanda, Takshashila, Telhara, Vikramshila, everything. They burned all the libraries. So it is the Turks that destroyed what we call Buddhism from India. They went after Buddhism specifically. They had this, for some reason, a great hatred for what we call Buddhism. And today the, your, our teachers and history teachers and uh, professors and textbooks will teach you that it is Brahminism that that uh, replaced Buddhism and, and uprooted Buddhism. That is a blatant lie. It is the Turks who did that. It is people like Bakhtiar Khilji who destroyed Nalanda and killed all the uh, teachers and students. It is people like him and other barbarians who, who destroyed what we call Buddhism from India and also from Bengal. Bengal, as you know, had Vikramshila and many other wonderful places. Uh, Incredible centers of learning and culture, which were all destroyed by the Turks. So that is how it happened. Thank you. Okay, sir. And uh, thank you. I like
7: your show. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Nice meeting you. Sir. Thank you so much. Okay, let us bring in. Let's bring in. Whom shall we bring in? Well, let's bring in somebody who has not come in before. If you have come in before, please don't be here. Please, I request you. Let's bring in Mr. Sunil. This is not Mr. Sunil. No. this is Neil. Neil, yeah. <laughs> hey, all Neil, right. how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Where are you from? Um,
8: I'm I'm originally from Mumbai, but I'm calling from Sydney, Australia.
0: All right, nice to meet you, sir. What's your question? Uh,
8: my question is about Indian. Um, our Indian scientist Nambi Narayan. I mm. wanted to know what about him. What was uh, what was happening to him? Who was behind all of his tragic tra- tragedy that was going on with him um uh, he was trying to develop a cryogenic engine uh, which was i think so indeed indigenous through india and making a lot of developments in uh, indian aerospace engineering and rocket engineering so what was going on with him and if his ideas would have been succeeded where would have been india's space research right now so that
0: was okay. Question. Good question. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Nambi Narayan. So I have not studied this case in great detail. What I know is that he there were allegations uh, made against him that he was part of some international spying ring or something, and uh, he was arrested, I believe, jailed for a few years or something. I am not very sure about this. I have not studied this case, but yes, you are right. He was he was in ISRO. He was part of the team that was developing the uh, the cryogenic rocket engine technology. And what happened is that after the I'm I think this happened more than 20 years ago. This this entire incident, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, right? So, um, so in the aftermath of the 1998 nuclear tests that India carried out uh, in Pokhran, the Americans, our great friends today apparently. They had imposed sanctions on India. They had prevented the Russians from transferring cryogenic rocket engines to India, and even the technology that India had purchased from the Russians. So then India was forced to try and develop the technology on its own. We had to do it ourselves. And Mr. Narayan was part of that. And uh, to sabotage that effort, these things were done. So uh, clearly, he was not spying for a foreign power or anything, or, or doing any such thing. It was all Manufactured, fabricated allegations, and he had to suffer for it. He had to pay for it by spending—I don't know how long—but he spent time in prison for that. Now, obviously, he has been exonerated. We know that it was all done uh, on purpose. It was—it was all fabricated. But it's strange that the Indian government allowed that to happen yeah, at the they time. They didn't do anything in about form. it. Yeah. Yeah, so so I think the the development of the technology was delayed by a few years because of this, uh, because of the foreign interference in this, and because the government took these allegations seriously and prosecuted our own scientists who was doing our work. Today we have the technology. We have developed the technology on our own. Over, on our own, we have the Vikas engine, and now we are fine. We can uh, we can. Uh, do it on our uh, on our own the gslv uh, M- mark 3 or whatever it is is powered by our own cryogenic rocket engines okay. so i think the indian cryogenic program was delayed by a few years because of all this uh, w- i'm sure there must be more going on mm-hmm. mr nambinarayan is the one that we know of but there must be other scientists who were also targeted in this i'm yes. sure yeah. i'm i'm guessing i don't have the information but i'm guessing it's an educated guess that such interference must have happened so it delayed our program by by several years and that's what we suffered All
1: right, Right. got my answer. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Thank you. you. Bye. Okay, Uh, let's bring in Sunil. Yes, I was saying Sunil. Hi, hi,
11: sir.
2: Namaste, Namaste. namaste, Where are you from? Sir, I'm from Michel It's a town near Kolhapur and very famous for manufacturing the highest quality fabric for shirts.
0: Nice, fantastic, fantastic. Nice meeting yeah. you, sir. What's your question?
2: Nice meeting Sir, my question is about time dilation. Uh, sir, so as per time dilation concept, the time on Earth can be different. The perceived time on Earth is different than time on some another planet. Sir, so my question is, in, in interstellar movie, they show that the actor goes on some other planet and comes back. So he just aged like a few days while all is all the people who were on earth, they grew up by more than 40, 50 years. So, so my question is, I like I, I feel it's only the pursuit time, which is different on earth than other planet, but the biological aging, which happens in a human is that, does that also slow down when someone goes on some other planet? So does, does the biological clock also changes? That's my question.
0: Yes, good question. So the, the concept of time dilation comes from a special relativity, the special theory of relativity, which Albert Einstein put forth in 1905. So what happens is that when your velocity increases with respect to a certain frame of reference, then the ta- if you have a clock, let's say you are on a rocket. Okay. And uh, let's say you have two people. One is on Earth. One is on a rocket that's going to take off from Earth. Now the rocket's velocity is going to be very high in order to escape the Earth. Now the clock, which is on the rocket, will seem to proceed at the same speed if you are sitting in the rocket. But if you are seeing that clock from the Earth, then the clock will be going slower. So it is relativistic time dilation. The time that is experienced on the rocket seems to flow at the same rate that it is flowing on the planet Earth, but it is actually flowing slower relative to the time on Earth. That's how it is. So let's say you have two twins two twin brothers or sisters, same age, same everything, one stays on Earth, one goes on a rocket and spends, let's say, one Earth year, one year on Earth, traveling on a rocket at a very high velocity, whatever the velocity is. Then when that person comes back to Earth after one year, his or her twin on Earth has aged one year. But the person, depending on the velocity, may have aged only a few days. So that's how it works. So it is biologically, it is everything. Your perceived time, the, the uh, time that you perceive may be just five minutes on the rocket. If you're on the rocket, it may feel only, I, w- I only went for five minutes. But if you're on Earth, that five minutes for that person may seem like one year for you. So time flows in, at different speeds. And secondly, this also help, uh, happens when you are in the presence of a, of, a, of a mass. So if you are sitting on the surface of the Earth, then time flows at a certain speed. But if you're an astronaut in orbit around the Earth, then time flows slightly differently at a slightly different speed. It it uh, So that's how it goes. So to understand how it actually, there is no intuitive way of explaining it. To understand how this actually happens, you have to look at the equations. So if you're interested, you can uh, look into that. But this is just a brief basic overview of what you experience if you actually experience time dilation. Sure. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you, sir. Thank you. Bye. Okay um, let's bring in Mr Subramaniam
3: Hello hello sir Hi how are you hey, sir, you, sir. Uh, Well I'm well. speaking from California All right uh, so, nice my you, on, uh, so my question is on so my question is on the recent financial sanctions which was slapped on Russia so it's not uh-huh. just the government which is impacted it's also the common citizens Uh, So I feel that, you know, probably down the line, in future, probably uh, the common citizens might look for a decentralized form of finance, because I see that, you know, probably some of the credit cards or, you know, the banking system might collapse in the future, at least in case of Russia. So do you think uh, there would be a wide scale uh, adoption of crypto? And would it move from the asset to the commodity side of things?
0: That was my question. Right. So what you are saying is absolutely correct. Uh, When you impose financial economic sanctions on a country, you're essentially besieging the country. In the old days, what you would have in European countries is every town, every city would have a wall around it for defense. And when the enemy would come, everybody would go inside the wall and stay inside and try to repel the enemy, uh, keep the enemy outside. And the enemy, what they would do is they would besiege the city for days, weeks and months and try to starve the people out. Right? Yeah. Because if you are in inside a walled city, you will soon face shortages of food, of water, of other supplies and all that. So they will try to starve you out and then you will have to surrender. That is what they used to do in siege warfare. When you impose financial sanctions, economic sanctions on a country in the 21st century, it is a form of siege warfare. You are starving them out. You are cutting yeah. them off from the, uh, from the global economy. You are slowly starving them out. And the people who are the worst hit in Uh, during economic sanctions are the civilians. The government, the elites, they are never really hurt. It is the common man, woman and child who suffer the worst. So that is the brutal reality of of economic sanctions. And the people who impose economic sanctions know it. It, It's going to affect the innocent people the most. And and that's just how it goes. There, There is no compassion or sympathy in the world. Now, like you said, possibly one way of circumventing economic sanctions is to adopt cryptocurrency crypto, and the blockchain technology and all that because that is decentralized, it is not controlled by any individual. For that we have to be careful. Yeah, the concept is good but there are certain cryptocurrencies that actually are owned that are controlled by, uh, by the corporation. Yeah. Let's take bitcoin it is truly decentralized bitcoin is decentralized ethereum is not truly decentralized yeah. it is actually controlled by certain individuals if you know you, you know so that's how yeah. it is so a truly a proper implementation of bitcoin technology uh, of of a uh, blockchain technology if it is done right then it is truly decentralized and uh, you will you will actually be able to use it to circumvent whatever uh, economic sanctions are placed upon you in case that is done. See, the the real reason why economic sanctions work is because the entire global system is controlled by one entity. The entire global financial and economic system is controlled essentially by the Western powers, essentially by the United States. And they have created this uh, SWIFT uh, system and all that for for transferring funds and all that across countries and they are now trying to cut their they've decided to cut russia off from that the thing is you can create a swift like system with other countries as well india could develop its own SWIFT, its own version of swift in conjunction with the russians and the chinese if we wanted to if you want to it's not very hard to do that it's not some rocket science you know so you are right i think the world will in the coming days and weeks and months and years move towards blockchain technology truly decentralized uh, technology, because that way you are not controlled, but one has to be careful that you are adopting a truly decentralized blockchain uh, or cryptocurrency and not something that appears to be that, but it's not
3: truly that way. So the, the, the add-on question to that, like something very similar to that is gold was so a standard. No, no, so, uh, relating sorry. to the same, sir. Like, so couldn't Bitcoin be the standard in order, in order to print money for you know the different uh, federal reserves that you have See. across the world? when it comes to
0: bitcoin uh, it is not printable money it's just uh, electronic uh, currency right yeah. so it could become a standard if the whole world adopts it otherwise but the but the people who are the guardians and custodians of the current system they don't want that to happen obviously it's it is it is going to be detrimental for to their interests if the world becomes a decent a decentralized place so they will try their best to prevent this from happening or they may try to hijack, hijack the technology and take and make it their own so that's what we may see in the coming days Thank you, sir. Thank All you right. for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Um. I see that Mr. Putin has come. Greetings, Mr. Putin. <laughs> Where are you from, sir? What's your name?
1: Uh, I'm Sushant. I'm from uh, Nasik, Maharashtra. My question is, in one
7: of your videos, you mentioned uh, about a book, uh, in which uh, you know they have uh, they have said how British uh, or uh, other foreign powers like Portuguese uh, introduced uh, caste system or rather arm twisted uh, caste system uh, in India. So uh, I'm, I'm not able to find that video. Can you just uh, name the book if you remember?
0: Here is one book, one example. It's called Casts of Mind. I'm not sure if you can see it. Yes, yes, I'm able to see It's called Casts of Mind by Nicholas B. Dirks. Casts okay. of Mind by Nicholas B. Dirks. That is one good reference for understanding what really happened. And uh, there must be some more also. I don't remember right now, but I just gave you the reference. So check it out. Okay, thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Let's bring in Mr. Vamsi. Good evening, good day, sir. Where are you from?
12: Namaste, sir. I'm from Chennai, uh, down south, uh, from the so called Dravidian place, but certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, thanks for uh, allowing me, sir. So, so, well, my question is a geopolitical question. And yes. as you have repeatedly stated, uh, it seems like the, the control of the West is shifting. The global order is, hmm. is starting to change, and Pax Samaritana is no longer starting not to be a reality. And the tide is shifting to the East. But so my only question is that uh, this, the two strong East civilizations, one being the Ch- one being China and the other being Bharat, these are these two, uh, two ancient civilizations and essentially the global order will either, will either go to China or to us in the future. Uh, the complete, I mean, who's going to be the dominant superpower? But with Russia now completely coming under the Chinese geopolitical orbit by because they depend on China for uh, economic uh, sub, I mean like economic help and all of that because of the sanctions, they have to be subservient to China right now. So how, I, how are we going to tackle this? How are we going to grow in the next twenty years alone and strong and come um, and because we have a legitimate civilization, probably the oldest and the strongest and the most valuable one out there. So uh, yes, yes. How would we do that, sir?
0: Yes, yes. Good question. Very good question. See, so the thing is, there is no point having a civilization if you don't have the means of defending it. So that is the lesson we must learn from the past 1000 years of history. Now, what you have said is very correct. The two old civilizations, the oldest is India. The second oldest you could say is China, the existing ones. And as you are rightly pointing out, now Russia is greatly under the control of China because the Americans are cutting Russia off from the. So what the Americans are doing is they're pushing Russia into the Chinese arms. They are right now in real time, in the process of pushing Russia into the arms of China. They are creating a bigger threat than what they would have otherwise, otherwise faced. They are essentially digging their own grave. That's what they're doing. So they are, they are consolidating the bipolarization of the world. The world could have been a nice multipolar place, but the Americans seem to want a bipolar, a a starkly bipolar world. So that's what they're doing. Now, the question is obviously about India, Bharat and Zhongwo. Zhongwo is China and india is bharat so india is still right now a very small economy compared to china china is at least al- almost six times larger than india in, in in economy gdp terms india is about 3 trillion dollars and china is about 18 19 i don't know exactly what the number is something like that so india could easily be subsumed by China if the things go the way they are going the, and uh, now the world is going to be quickly militarized. The Germans have announced that they're going to be spending a lot more on, on defense, more than 2% of the GDP. I yesterday said India needs to double its uh, its military spending. It needs to happen now. It's it's very important. So now we're going to see a, an increasingly militarized world that India is is now in a difficult position whether we realize it or not, we're going to have to find a way of of sustaining 10% plus economic growth for the next 10-20 years while remaining safe, while preventing other people like essentially China from trying to break us up. So it's going to be a very very interesting tightrope walk that we will have to do the next 10-20 years. There is going to be a lot of diplomatic balancing. We will have to do balancing of various powers. The Americans are right now being very vindictive towards India because we were neutral in the the UN Security Council. We did not condemn the Russian actions, which essentially, even by remaining neutral, we are siding with Russia, actually. That's what it means. So the Americans, especially if you see social media, they're attacking India viciously right now. So I don't know how long the so-called alliance or, or partnership with America may last. We have the Quad relationship with the Americans and other countries like Japan and Australia. I don't know how viable it is in the long run, considering the attitude the Americans are showing. In that case, India may be on its own in the coming years. And India still needs to be part of the global financial economic system, which is controlled by the Americans. So as you can see, there are big challenges coming up for India. So it is all going to depend on the Indian leadership how they handle the situation we're going to we're going to need very cool minds and very mature heads right now mr modi obviously is is very well experienced in doing all this he he, he is is an old player in geopolitics and in the global scenario and after him somebody else will have he will eventually retire from his his role as prime minister and somebody else will come in, in place in the next 5 10 years sometime so that person also needs to be the right kind of person. So India is going to face significant challenges. Right now, the world seems very nice and cozy. It's not going to be that way. In the 1930s, 1940s, the world was in a great deal of chaos. We may see the same sort of again happening in the coming years, in the, com- in the coming decade, perhaps. So India has to be prepared. I don't have, a, have the right solution. I don't have the exact solution for India's problem. The only solution is India needs 20 years of invest in peace and high growth, high economic growth. Because if your economy grows, your military spending can also grow proportionately. And India is going to need to uh, power up its, its military uh, defense forces. So that's what I, what I can say. We need to ensure somehow that we remain re- re- relatively peaceful. And we need to keep growing at a very high, high rate for the next 10-20 years. Then we will be able to... And the thing is this... Right now, the Chinese have no respect for India. Because India, the Chinese only respect one thing, which is strength and power. And India is a weaker, inferior nation compared to China, economically and militarily, today. If you want the Chinese to respect us and treat us as equals, we need to rise to that level. Economic strength and military strength. That is the only solution in geopolitics. The world respects only one thing, strength and power. So that's what India needs to do that is non-negotiable. Next 10-20 years, it has to happen. Then India will be fine.
12: Thank you so much, sir. Hope we defeat the breaking India forces and India truly becomes a Vishwaguru.
0: Yes, sir. We hope that. Thank you so much. Good question. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Uh, Whom do we bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Rishi. Hello. Namaste, sir. Namaste, sir. Where are you from?
6: Uh, I'm from Jharkhand.
0: Have you been here before on this Q&A? Yes, sir. Then why did you enter? Sir, sir, I am requesting everybody, please, please don't enter if you have been here before. I want to give the chance Hello. to new people. Please, please don't. Just please. One small question, re- sir. Please respect the rules. Thank you. Uh, why, why do people do that? Let's give a chance to new people. Okay, let's bring in Mr. Krishnapal. Hello.
9: Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hi.
0: Hi, where are you from, oh,
9: sir? Wapi, uh, Gujarat.
0: Wapi, Gujarat. All right, sir. What's your question? Sir,
9: so my question is about economic superpower. So how mm-hmm. China becomes economic superpower in just 20 years? And mm-hmm. how can India become economic superpower? Because of economic superpower, you want something exports. You, your exports should be greater than import. And so-called yes. tech giants like Amazon, Flipkart, mm-hmm. Twitter, Microsoft, their CEOs are Indians. They call them proud Indians. So why they can't come to India and make economic super in technology
1: and provide service to the world?
0: Very good question, sir. Very good question. This is one of the most important questions today. Right. So, like you said, China was able to transform its economy completely in like 20 years or so. And how did that happen? It happened because the Americans aided and abetted the rise of China. In the 1960s, the Chinese and the Russians, the USSR almost went to war. The USSR leadership had decided to nuke China. They had decided to nuke China. The Americans stopped them from doing that. And, and then they brought the Chinese into the American orbit. They allowed the Chinese to become part of the global economic system. And they transferred all of their manufacturing needs into China. So they, they, the Americans deliberately, systematically turned China into a manufacturing powerhouse. So today, all the manufacturing that America needs is all done in China. And now the Chinese have yeah. developed their own technology. They've done their own research R&D and they're able to manufacture anything they want under the sun. So the, Ch- the Chinese have become a manufacturing superpower. And because of that, they were able to export so much value to the West and their labor costs are very used to be very less. And that's how they were able yeah. to become this mighty financial and economic giant. The Americans aided and abetted the rise of China. Right. Now, India... If it wants to become a large economy, if it wants to have uh, 10 plus percent growth of the economy every year, it's going to have to invest in manufacturing. It's going to have to become a manufacturing giant on its own. The, uh, some of the western countries are trying to decouple from China right now so maybe they could yeah, want yeah. to they may want to move their manufacturing needs into india but for that india will need to reform its system and all and become more agile more responsive and all that so there are some certain challenges but india can do that the thing is this the west the, the americans willingly help the chinese rise this fast very fast they are not that well dis- predisposed towards india right the americans have always had a certain hatred for india whether you realize it or not, and they are not invested in India. They don't want to see India rise the way China has risen. And secondly, they want to use India as a market, as a captive market. They want yeah. to sell things to India. They don't. They don't want to buy things from India. So that's why country uh, companies like Amazon, etc., they are coming into India and they want to use India as a place from which they can extract value, not something into which they will give value. So that is the big challenge India is facing today. That's the big challenge India is facing is. today.
9: Pichai and why they come to India and make India tag giant?
0: what will they get in India Are there opportunities for bright people in India
9: That's we don't even have sufficient
0: jobs in the country yes
9: this current Indian government can provide that or not
0: It will take time even if they have the willingness to do it they will have to reform the system the system is rotten it has been rotten for 70 years. It is built on the foundations of Nehruvian socialism. All the systems are like that. There is so much red tape. There are so many regulations. The bureaucracy is horrible. To change that takes a lot of time. There is so much. See, when you have a nation of 1.3 billion people, any change takes a long time. Even if you really want to do it, there is so much resistance that you face. These are the challenges India is facing. So even if the government wants to do this, they cannot magically create 10 lakh jobs tomorrow, right? It's not possible. It takes time. So that is the challenge that India is facing. So it's going to be tough for India in the coming days and uh, in the couple of decades. But we have to overcome these problems. So that is the challenge the government faces today. Okay, sir. Thank you. Nice, nice question. Nice meeting you. Thank you. Bye. Let's bring in Mr. Kishal. Hello.
13: Hi, Abhijit. It's nice to finally meet you. Um, I'm speaking from Singapore. all I'm a right. Singaporean of Singapore, to to Indian heritage. Sorry, can you mm-hmm. hear me well enough?
0: I can, I can, yes.
13: OK, great. Um, So my question is, is it possible to re-establish a Sindhi ethno-linguistic state in India today? And if so, how? And I ask this question because um, during the partition of India, all of the religiously diverse border states uh, were cut into two, one for Pakistan, one for India, one for the Indic religious people, one for the Muslims. Bengal and Punjab, for instance. However, when it came to Sindh, the entire province was annexed to Pakistan, not a single portion was left to India. You know, and the Sindhi Hindus were basically forced to sort of assimilate and go wherever they could find shelter in India. Um, despite Sindh being so instrumental to the civilizational consciousness of India. And to some capacity, I know that historically, um, they did say that, hey, you know, eventually we will create a Sindh in India. But it never happened. But today we still have Sindh in the National Anthem. So that's my question.
0: Yes, that's a good question. People don't talk about the plight of the Sindhi people. The Sindhi people essentially became rootless. They lost their ancestral homeland. I mean the Hindus, right? So you have Sindhis all across India today. Mostly, I think, in Western and Northern India, but in other places also. And they don't have any place they can call their own. They have simply uh, adopted various parts of India as their is where they live. So the question is, um, can we re-establish a Sindhi homeland in, in India? It's, it's very hard to imagine something like that happening unless we re uh, unless we liberate historical Sindh from the Pakistanis and, mm. and make that uh, the real Sindh again. Because today, even if you look at the region of Sindh, it no longer has a Sindhi character. If you look at the city of Karachi, 100 years ago no it used to be sindhi and balochi in in nature right. the three languages that were spoken there were sindhi balochi and gujarati today mm-hmm. the language that is spoken the most is pashto in 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 karachi so what you see is that the demographics and everything has been re-engineered in sindh so even if india were to liberate sindh there is this we know that there is this uh, gs sindh movement the uh, sindhi freedom movement that's going on in pakistan and even if we were to uh, liberate sindh from the pakistani army still the demographics that have been put in place there will be very hard to alter unless we have a time frame of 200 years
13: but so unfortunately like a what pipe we, dream. it sounds like you're right yeah what what about unfortunately establishing
0: yes unfortunately. Sindh in india yes uh, establishing sindh in india what for that to happen we would have to clear a part of india some region of india of all the people who belong there and then bring Sindhis mm. in there, which obviously is not feasible. It's not practical. It, it, it would be unfair to the people who live there, right? So unfortunately, the thing is, it's not possible to establish a Sindhi homeland, a new Sindhi homeland somewhere in India, unless all the Sindhis of India were to decide uh, voluntarily to relocate to some, some part of India, let's say some, some state of India and establish a kind of homeland there. I don't know if it's even possible or feasible. So, so it's it's very impractical, unfortunately.
13: I know parts of historic Sindh lie in present day Gujarat and uh, Rajasthan, and Sindhi no. is still spoken there. Historic, Sindh, I mean. You have
0: you have a, a significant Sindhi population in Rajasthan and Gujarat, I believe it is, uh, it is oh. the case. But uh, that has never been historically part of Sindh, those regions. Sindh has always been west of Kutch. You know, Kutch is the western part of, Gu- of Gujarat. Yes. Sindh has yes. always been historically west of Kutch so mm-hmm. gujarat and sindh have been neighboring states historically so no portion of sindh is in india today unfortunately
13: that's that's for the Can you just touch on why this happened why were the punjabis given punjabi hindus and Sikhs given a land bengali hindus were but the sindhus were not
0: it's what the british engineered and the indian uh, so called leadership accepted it
13: just wrong okay, okay. all right
14: it, yep. good question thank sir you. nice meeting you
0: thank you nice meeting you thank you nice Okay, let's bring in somebody else. Let's bring in... uh, whom shall we bring in? Let's bring in Mr. Virat, who has been waiting very very patiently. Hello, sir. Good evening, sir. Good evening, sir. Have you been here before?
11: No, never. Never before.
0: Excellent. I like it. What's your question? Where are you from, first of
11: all? I'm from Ghaziabad, Uttar Pradesh.
0: All right. All right. What's your question, sir?
11: Yes, my question is what do you think will be expected from India and Russia in the third world war if it ever happens uh, due to China's attack on Taiwan and uh, what would be US's response on this? Uh, Would it be similar to what they responded to uh, attack on Ukraine? Will they just cancel their Netflix uh, account of China people or will they actually send their troops?
0: So if the Chinese were to invade Tibet then there will be an uh, outbreak of hostilities, kinetic warfare between the Americans and the Taiwanese on one side and the Chinese on the other other side. Now, like I've said before, once warfare starts, once the shooting starts, anything can happen. It can escalate. Other uh, third parties can get involved in this. So what is the expectation from India? Well, the expectation that people can have from India is that India should should look out for its own national interest. That's the only expectation the world can have from India. For instance, if China were to attack, uh, attack Ladakh tomorrow or Arunachal Pradesh tomorrow, can India expect the Americans to come and help us? They will not come and help us. Look, what, look at the way they abandoned Ukraine right? when the Russians have invaded. Do you think the Americans will come and help India when some, something like this happens? They will not. Even the Russians will not be in a position to come and help India if the Chinese were to attack Ladakh or Arunachal Pradesh or Sikkim or something else tomorrow. So every country needs to look out for its own self-interest. Of course, the Americans will say, we expect this from India and we expect that from India. And we as- expect support and all that. But in the real world, you can expect something only if you're giving something else in return. And the Americans are, of- are offering nothing in return to India. So, uh, so if hostilities break out between the Americans and the Taiwanese on one side and China on the other side, India will look out for its own self-interests. That's the only thing they can expect from us. So what should India do if China attacks, invades Taiwan? India should not get involved in it. What India should do is India should immediately secure Nepal and Sri Lanka. That's what India should do. So that's what the world can expect from India, to secure its own interests. Nepal is part of the Indian civilizational sphere. So is Sri Lanka. I am not saying India should invade and annex Nepal and Sri Lanka I am saying India needs to secure Nepal and Sri Lanka you can interpret secure in any way you want so that yes, is what India can be expected to do nothing else
11: but sir, would uh, Sri Lankans accept that because we know that Nepal we will, try we will to not get, invade uh... we will
0: not invade Sri Lanka we will not occupy Sri Lanka we will not annex Sri Lanka or Nepal we will simply secure these territories that's all all right Thanks. that's all thank you for your time all right thank you Bye. Let's bring in Mr. Paraveen. Hello,
11: hello, sir. Namaste.
0: Hello, namaste, yeah. namaste. Where are you from, sir?
11: Yeah, basically, uh, I'm from Indore, Pradesh, but currently, I'm talking from Milan, Italy. And then this only Milan, country... Milan, are you Yes, sir. What's yeah. your question? So, my question is basically related to this what is happening around us. So, uh, how yeah. do you see how do you see these? Uh, veto thing in the United Nations. First of all, uh, it seems that the United Nations lost his relevance day by day. And we have seen the failures in many cases, in many wars. So, what is the significance? And how India should seek to get, first of all, the veto? And uh, uh, according to you, uh, should we actually need that veto? Or, uh, or just it's it's like not uh, that relevant? Because in, okay, okay. in in many situations, in near future, let's say we... Uh, we became uh, strong and uh like uh, go towards tibet then all this part that we we, we try to annex in uh, india again so uh, uh, will it help actually or uh, it just nothing
0: okay good question well, the un the united nations and the veto so the un is essentially a useless worthless body uh, in if you look at the uh, If you look at the structure of the United Nations Security Council, you will see that it reflects the world order the way it was in 1945, at the end of the Second World War. So the victorious powers in the Second World War were given permanent seats on the UN Security Council, and India was offered this a permanent seat, not once but at least twice if not thrice. And our great magnificent Prime Minister Mr. Nehru refused The seat on all occasions. And he said, please give it to China, not to India. And that's how the Chinese became permanent. uh, uh, That's how China became a permanent member of the UN Security Council with veto power. So what is veto power? It means you can prevent anything from happening. If, if let's say, right now the, the Russians have the veto power, there was this UN Security Council resolution that was tabled that would condemn Russia for its actions in, in Ukraine, the Russians vetoed it. They were the only ones who vetoed it. But one, one veto was, was enough to, to defeat the motion. So that's yeah. the kind of power the veto power has. India was given this power, India refused it, and today we are suffering the consequences of that. Now, the UN is essentially a useless body. The only use it has is as an instrument in the hands of powerful countries. So in the past, the Americans used to use the United Nations to to condemn various countries and and do things like that. Right now, the Chinese have infiltrated the UN and they are using the UN for various purposes like the WHO. So they, they made sure that the Wuhan virus was called COVID instead of the Wuhan whatever and they, things like that, right? So they are using the UN to further their influence across the world. So that is the uh, that's the use the UN has today. It is not uh, in it doesn't have any real powers. It can uh, sanction the weak. It can hurt the weak, power, weak countries but it cannot hurt the strong countries. So if you want to be a uh, if you want to be a significant player in the world, you to become a strong country. That's what, what, what I can say. So the UN, India will not be in a position to become a veto-wielding country. Nobody will give India the power today. Right? So th- the only thing India can do is become so powerful that it's impossible to ignore India. And even mm-hmm. if India doesn't have a veto in, in the UN Security Council, its economy is so strong that it has an effective veto in the, in the global affairs. So that's the only thing India can do. But nobody is going to give India, gift India, a permanent seat today in the UN Security Council or the veto power—it's simply not going to happen. The chance was there in the 1950s. We we rejected the chance, so that's where we stand now.
11: Yes, sir. thank you, thank you for uh, your brief answer. It's it's thank
0: you. Nice meeting you, sir. Thank you for the question.
11: Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
0: All right, let's bring in Mr. Whom do we have? Let's bring in Mr. Ashmit. Hello. Good, good evening. Sir. Uh, Hello. Uh, yes. I can hear you. Have you been here before? No. This is my first time. Okay. First time. Very nice. Sir, very, where sir, sir, from? My question is Godra. Godra. But so, okay. Great.
2: Yeah. Sir, my question is uh, about spin quantum. The ele-
0: Electron spin. Electron spin. Right. Yeah, what's the question? Sir, what exactly is electron spin? Either it is revolution or it is rotation. I'm unfortunately not able to understand what you're saying, sir. Sir,
4: uh, electron spin is revolution
0: or rotation. That's and what exactly it is. Okay, you're asking something about electron spin. What is electron spin? Is that yes, what you're asking? Yes. Okay, what is electron spin? So, the electron is one of the fundamental particles in, in, in the in the standard model of physics right and spin is one of the quantum properties of the electron so the electron is not a classical object that you can see it's rotating or so going in a circle like that it's just something it's just uh, a term that we use we also have the properties of the quarks like you know uh, we have color charge and all that so it doesn't mean that actually it has three colors or something right mm-hmm. it's just a certain term that we use and the electron spin is a quantum property of the electron, you can have two configurations, spin up and spin down. And that is what we use to construct the the theory of the world that we live in. And it it works very well. So all I can say in brief is this electron spin is simply a quantum property of the electron. It has two values, which we call spin up and spin down. You can give it any other name and it will still will still work the same. It's not. It doesn't really mean that the electron is spinning like that. No, it doesn't mean that. All right, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Nice meeting you, sir. Okay. um Let's bring in Mr. Uh, Aparmaia. Hello.
5: Hello, sir. Namaste.
0: Namaste, sir. Where are you from? I'm from Mumbai. Mumbai, right? What's your question,
5: sir? Uh, sir, I basically have two questions. You can pick whichever. Uh, let's just
0: go for phone. one. What's your main? What's your best question?
5: Uh, okay, sir. Uh, Sir, when we examine history, like uh, hmm. if we say uh, Ramayana or Mahabharat, how do we know it's not fiction? Like
3: uh, okay. how, do how we know people it's not from the
5: future, how will people from the future know that Harry Potter wasn't uh, historical? All after?
0: right, excellent question. How do we distinguish Ramayana and Mahabharat from Harry Potter? Right. So, let's talk about the Mahabharata. In the Mahabharata, there are all kinds of uh, events that have supposed to be happen- to have happened. Can we correlate those events with actual geographical places? We still have places in India which are named the same as the events of, as the places in the events of the Mahabharat. We have Indraprastha, we have Hastinapur, we have Kurukshetra, and so on and so forth. Right. So there is one clue that we have, but it is not hard clue. It's just circumstantial evidence. But there is another event in the Mahabharat. Right, in which uh, you have uh, the great warrior Arjun, who goes to the capital city of Lord Krishna, where he was the king. It's called Dwarka, and he witnesses the destruction of the city in a tectonic event in an earthquake. And the city slides into the ocean, and it's swallowed by the ocean. And that has been uh, portrayed as a myth for for the longest time. And then when some archaeologists decided to actually examine the seafloor of the coast of the modern city of Dwarka, We found an entire sunken city there, which completely exactly corroborates what is depicted in the Mahabharata, exactly where the the story says that off the coast of Dwarka, you will find a sunken city and you find it there. So that is unmistakable, undeniable evidence that the events are true. So, if one event is true, we can conclude other events. Uh, There's a very high likelihood that all the other events are also true. Now, obviously, over thousands of years, stories get embellished. People who are very strong and great warriors are eventually over... If you retell the story thousands of times, they are given what we can consider to be supernatural powers. Those have Mm -hmm. to be looked at metaphorically, not literally. It doesn't mean those people did not exist. Right? So, that is about the Mahabharata. When it comes to the Ramayana, again, we don't have... any. We have all these place names that still exist, Ayodhya and so on and so forth. But there is one structure that does exist, a man-made um, structure between India and Sri Lanka, the Ram Setu. So once again, there is an event which we can see it actually happened. And that's why we have two clues now, one from the Mahabharata, one from the Ramayan, that demonstrate that these events have bases in actual facts. And if you look at Harry Potter, we know it was written by a person. So, yes. there
5: you go sir all i right, think sir. Uh, my question was that uh, if we look at uh, historical accounts how do we distinguish them from fiction like i'm not saying yeah because a we, yeah i get it specific. i get it we
0: need to look at evidence we need to find actual hard yeah. evidence and i've just told you how we find hard evidence
3: okay. all right sir thank you sir
0: thank you. thank you thank you bye okay whom do we bring in we can bring in uh, mr rahul Hello. Hello, sir. My name is Rahul.
7: I'm from Merit. So my question is, what happens to debt if a nation
0: ceases to exist? What happens to to debt? Yes. If a nation ceases to exist, the debt also ceases to exist. Obviously, who's going to pay it? Right. That's just how it works. Very simple answer. Yes. If a nation ceases yes. to exist, the debt uh, goes away. If a nation is transformed, then the debt may remain. So, for instance, when the USSR broke up, then all the external debt was transferred to the nation of Russia, which came out of which was the biggest uh, nation that came out of the erstwhile USSR. But if a nation, for whatever reason, ceases to exist, the debt also ceases to exist, it cannot be paid back. Thank you, thank you, thank you, nice meeting you. All right, um, let's bring in. Um, Mr. Om Jain, hello, hello, sir. Namaste, sir. Namaste, namaste. Where are you from? Sir, I am from Tikamgad, Madhubra. Nice to meet you, sir. What's your question, sir? My question is, uh, uh, that in future, can India be become the permanent member of
8: the UN? And uh, what are the competition, competing com- uh,
0: countries uh, around the globe like? Uh, after 20, if we see modern day Africa, uh, it's uh, it's like now India in the 60s or the 50s.
8: So uh, how can we compete with uh, these type of countries like
0: Vietnam and all in the upcoming okay. future? Okay, so the question firstly is, can India become a member of the UN Security Council? How to do it? There is no way to do it. The UN Security Council is frozen in time. The it, it it represents the way the world order was in 1945. It needs reforms, but the but the permanent member states, the five permanent members, will never allow reforms. So we can keep on uh, requesting and begging and pleading. It's not never going to happen. So there is no way India can become a member, a permanent member of the UN Security Council, a veto wielding member. Right. So that's not going to happen. There are other countries like Germany and Japan etc. Who also deserve membership, but they will not be given that. India is the one with the. Uh, Biggest claim, but India is not going to get that thing. So uh, once you miss the opportunity, you it doesn't come back. Now, when it comes to competing with nations like Vietnam, there is no competition. Vietnam is a tiny country compared to India. Its economy is tiny compared to India.
4: No sir, if India sure.
0: rises. Yes, sir. Like the manufacturing hub, you said that the uh-huh. cost labor is also there is also cheap. Yeah, so India can take advantage of its enormous size and scale by making some reforms in the economy, in the, in the way that things are run and make India very attractive for Western nations to move their manufacturing to. It's very simple. Make it attractive for them to move their manufacturing base to India instead of China or somewhere else. Because India has the scale, India has the manpower, India has the population and if India makes it financially uh, attractive and if it, make, if it makes it painless from a bureaucratic uh, red tape perspective, then it will happen. And the gentleman has left. All right. Uh, let's bring in Mr. Sujai.
6: Hello, Hello, Hello. sir.
9: So, first of all, uh, happy Science Day in advance. Uh, sir, and uh, my question is... Uh, where are you my from? Question is, uh, uh, Sir, I'm from Pune, Maharashtra. All
0: right, all right. Okay. Uh,
9: so my question is, uh, like uh, the previous uh, people, they asked about uh, what will happen, you know, so if we are supposed to beat uh, China and Pakistan, etc. Sir, my question is, uh, as I told you in your last video, uh, we have to become the 10 trillion economy. So as an individual and as a nation, what steps uh, should I and the nation take to make that happen?
0: Uh, firstly, have you been on this video chat before?
9: Uh, no, sir. No, this is my first time. Okay,
0: okay, okay, What steps can the people of India take? There's nothing the people of India can take uh, can do unless the government reforms the system, right? What we can do from our perspective is to uh, remain in India instead of going out to out to another country. The brain drain. Let's not do that and try and contribute whatever we can in whatever way we, we can to the Indian economy. So some of us may be good at entrepreneurship. So start a business and, and uh, manufacture something in India or 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 do something which contributes to the Indian economy to the Indian intellectual capital or if you so, so, something like that individuals can do very less the people who have power at scale they are the ones like chief ministers prime ministers, etc they are the ones who have the real power to quickly, change the country and transform the country. But even that is easier said than done because the system is built in such a way it's very hard to change. But it's happening. We can see lots of changes happening in the past 5-7 years. It needs to carry on and accelerate further. So it's very hard for an individual to, con- to contribute significantly to the economy and to the country unless you position yourself to a, to a place where you are in a position of power and you can do things at scale. So put yourself in a place where you can Contribute at scale, not as a single person, but at a, at a larger scale, then you can make a difference. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank, okay, you, very thank much.
0: you. Thank you very much. Okay, let's uh, bring in Mr. Siddhant. Hello. Hello, sir. Can you hear me? Hi, where are you from? I'm from Assam. Assam. Very nice. Very nice. What's your question, sir? Sir, so I have two questions. You can choose which one you have to answer. So my first question Just ask me one, one question.
7: Just uh, ask me one question. Okay. So my question is related to Mr. Nehru, our favorite. So he was more or less a, a British guy who was like, he, he was controlled by British, but his policies were more or less Soviet Union, Union oriented, which were like opposite. Opposing British. So why was that? If he was a British guy, he should have okay. Okay, I get it. Right. Okay, okay I get British.
0: it. Okay, what you're asking is even though he was a big Anglophile, he was educated in England, all that, and he was like culturally British or whatever, his policies were very much socialist and pro-USSR. And you want to understand why it is so. It's because he was a Fabian socialist. There was a, there is, I believe, still maybe in england in the uk the fabian socialist fabian socialist party or whatever it's called fabian socialism movement so mr nehru was uh, was a member of that and fabian socialism is all about very slow incremental change don't do any big change keep it slow and steady and incremental and mr nehru was a socialist even though he was a he was an anglophile and that's why from a from a ideological perspective he found more closeness closeness with the ussr and because the ussr was a socialist country union of soviet socialist republics ussr so the word socialist is there and to his genius mind he felt that that is closer to me ideologically than the uk so even though culturally he was anglophile and more anglo uh Ideologically, he was a socialist and that's why he found common ground with the USSR. So he tried to emulate certain aspects of the uh, financial policies of the USSR. But he, uh, you can see that the way the USSR did things was they industrialized to a very large extent. Mr. Nehru did not allow that to happen in India. He put in this, uh, this uh, Nehruvian policies everywhere, bureaucracy, red tape, and uh, very slow growth and so on. So that's the reason why despite being culturally english he was ideologically socialist and more uh, more similar to the U, to the ussr right that's the reason why so you all right sir basically both, both worlds yes sir yes that's right thank you thank you nice meeting you bye okay let's uh, let's bring in dr amit hello
7: Hello, sir. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm a big fan of yours, sir. So, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, talking from Kolgata. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a doctor. Okay. And uh, uh, sir, I want to tell you one thing that uh, like th- during this discussion, I was hearing that uh, you are talking that if if we want to defend China, okay, we need to secure Nepal and uh, Sri Lanka right so Mm -hmm. I want to tell you that uh, during my MBBS days uh, like you know undergrad days I was uh, in Nepal I was I I studied in Nepal for eight years okay so uh, maybe like many people will not agree with me but there is a huge like huge 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 anti indian uh, movement is there like uh, i was placed I, I my college was in pokhara okay so if you go from like if you travel by road wherever you go you will see anti indian slogans and everything so if india wants to like you know like protect nepal it will be like you know it will be shown as as if india is coming to capture nepal
0: yes yes i know so, you're right
7: so, so, so what is the, what is the way, like, like, say, suppose nobody told anything uh, to Russia, you know, like, like, o- obviously this ban and everything is going and I don't think it is not making much sense. So God forbid, if, if China, uh, like, you know, attacks India tomorrow, so will anyone stop China? Because, you know, in uh, past also, we have seen that Russia has yes. a history of, Like, you know, taking China's uh, side during last Indo-Indian, Indo-China war. also. So what is the exact uh, scenario that will take place? Okay, I get
0: it. I get it. Okay, so the the first point that you have raised is very pertinent, that there is a very strong anti-India sentiment in Nepal. It's happened only in the last 20 years after the Maoist takeover of of, of Nepal. And the Maoist takeover of Nepal was engineered by the Indian government. Of that type. exactly,
7: exactly, exactly, okay. exactly. So, exactly. So
0: that's what's happened. So all the elite politicians, the so-called political and social elite in Nepal, are all JNU graduates. They have all come out exactly. of JNU. So they have this entire communist Maoist mindset.
14: Exactly. And
0: the the JNU graduates, even in India, many of them have an anti-India mindset. So you just see the same thing in Nepal. And exactly. The entire political uh, situation right now environment, ecosystem, everything is anti-India. Even the education, I'm, I'm sure they're teaching anti-India things there. So we are witnessing exactly. a whole new generation of Nepalis who have brought, been brought up hating India. So if India were to secure Nepal, India will be portrayed as an aggressor. Fine. It doesn't matter how people portray us. We have to do what is best for our national interest. Now, you, if like the, what you said, if the Chinese were supposed supposedly were, hypothetically were to attack India tomorrow, exactly. who's going to exactly. help India? Nobody's going to exactly. help India. We cannot expect anybody to help us. That's why we have to be self-sufficient, self-reliant. We already have the deterrent. See, look at Ukraine today. I, I don't feel sorry for Ukraine after what they've done to our students. They've been brutalizing us. But the lesson to learn from Ukraine is that in, when the USSR broke up, the Ukrainians had Soviet nuclear weapons on their soil, in exactly. their possession, and they gave it up. And as a consequence, we are seeing what's happening to de- to them today. If they had those weapons with them today, nobody would have dared invade them. Exactly. Now exactly. India has learned the lessons of that. We have a nuclear deterrent, so we have a certain red line nobody can dare to cross. So that is one insurance policy that we do have. If you
7: but dare to cross a certain is, red line, but India is having that policy that they will not uh, play like you know put the first uh, like you know first finger on the nuclear
0: yeah yeah, yeah. You, do, do, you have to understand something words are words
4: <laughs>
0: words are just okay. words we can okay. have a policy we can decide to change the policy tomorrow after the war, war starts we can change okay. policies anytime we have not signed an agreement with the world that we will do this no matter what okay right okay okay, okay. words okay. are okay. just words okay. so we have the nuclear deterrent and we need to build up our our military proportionately to the threat that we are facing today so that's what we need to do but we have the deterrent which is a very good thing
7: but but if we if we go and uh, try to secure uh, like nepal uh, Indi- like nepal is having a very close influence to to china okay so suppose if we proceed even even if we look at nepal maybe they will go to china and uh, you know like do like you know maybe that will start the war
0: we have to consider all these factors when we do the military operation or any operation. So I'm okay, sure the sir, Indian okay. leadership is taking this in consideration. Okay, sir.
13: Okay. All right, thank, thank, thank you. Thank so you. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. Nice
0: meeting you. you. Okay, whom shall I bring in? Let's... Uh, Brinda Raka. Hello.
6: Hello, sir. I'm from Hyderabad. And I'm really a great fan of you. And my question is... Thank you, sir. Uh, homie Jahangir Baba, our uh, father of uh, nuclear, our father, uh, nuclear scientist was killed by CIA. So if he had been alive, so how much we could have advanced in our nuclear technology? I was seeing a video okay. just now that uh, our, um, we don't possess, um, what we say, a nuclear uh, submarine technology. So even uh, now we have, I think, uh, made the nuclear uh, uh, submarine uh, reactor, but it is not Mm. as efficient as America's. So if he was alive, uh, how much we could have grown? That is my question.
0: Okay, first of all, yeah, good question, sir. Uh, Firstly, we don't have any evidence that he was killed by the CIA. Uh, It may be so, but we don't have any hard evidence that can prove that. Okay, you never have the proof for that. Now, the question is, like you said, we we are developing a nuclear submarine, a miniaturized nuclear submarine that we can fit into. I'm sorry, not submarine. We are developing a miniaturized nuclear reactor that can fit into a submarine. We are in the process of developing it. The first time you develop a technology, it's not going to be efficient enough. The Americans have been doing it for decades. The Russians have been doing it for decades. We are only doing it now. So it will take multiple iterations of improvements before we have a really good nuclear... Reactor that can uh, be installed in a submarine. Right now, we will do whatever we can with whatever reactor we have. It's still working, it's still something that can power an actual submarine. So, it takes time. So, it's not about w- whether Mr. Baba was alive or not. It's about the fact that we started this development process only very late. Right? So, that's the first thing. Now, Mr. Baba is not the only person who developed the Indian nuclear weapons under uh, the Indian nuclear program. We have lots of brilliant scientists who have never been mentioned by name. Only some people get the prominence. For instance, people. I see. I am not saying Mr. Baba was not a good scientist or anything, but only some people get the limelight and they are highlighted. You think the nuclear weapons program depended only on one person? That's simply not the case. See, nuclear science, uh, nu- nuclear physics is not a very, very, very hard. Actually, you know, it's it's actually quite straightforward. Once you once you have the manpower, the the money, and all that, you can quickly, reasonably quickly develop a working nuclear reactor. It's not very hard to do that. So uh, Mr. Baba died in sometime in the 1960s, but we had lots of other scientists who carried, carried the work forward. So I don't think the death of one individual has a big effect on the entire program, which depends on lots of individuals who are all equally intelligent. Right? He's not the only guy who was making, who was developing nuclear reactors. There were lots of people who are doing it. He was simply the guy in charge of the thing, the administrator. Administrators are not actually doing science, they are just overseeing the administrative and managerial work. They are managing the process. For instance, people say that Dr. A.P.J. Jabul Kalam developed all the Indian nuclear missiles himself. He was just simply in charge of the program. He was a great scientist, no doubt about it. But he's not the guy who built all the missiles himself. There were lots of people working under him who actually did the work. Of course, he was guiding them. He was giving them directions. And of course, he was a great scientist. It doesn't mean that he did it himself. It's always a team effort when you are building technologies like nuclear reactors, nuclear submarines, missile systems, lots of people are involved in that. And only one or two people get the highlight, get the limelight. So we have to understand that the loss of one individual, even if it is done as as an assassination, does not have a long term effect as long as all the other individuals are able to do their work right yes yeah, sir so one
6: more question yeah one question only uh, just one sir just one sir. if we uh, if the iits are uh, the iit students if we ban them for like 10 years or 5 years from going outside of the country can we you know bolster uh, the brain drain brain drain which is going out we can can we stop you no know, you can you can
0: you can keep people in india at gunpoint it doesn't mean they will contribute anything to India. We have to develop our own. Uh, uh, we have to make sure that everybody has the job that we can offer to them in India. Right? Right now, we not we don't have that. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's bring in Anuj, Mr. Anuj. Hello. Hi, sir.
10: Hi, sir. Have been a great fan of yours ever since. Thank you. So I have something, some questions for you, sir. Um, please ask me only one question and please state where you're from. I'm from Siraj Madhya Pradesh. Yes. All
13: right.
10: yes. So, sir, we were familiar to this concept of deep state when it comes to America. Yes. And... And this 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 uh, concept of uh, has been shattered in pieces. Where, ever since this Biden administration has took over the command, sir. Um, um the, uh, as you know, that in Afghanistan they 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 just abandoned the billions of dollars of stuff means yes, helicopters, sir. Yes. What's your question, helicopters, man? missiles, and everything. Just it did it means their common sense didn't uh, poke them that you should get that back. To your motherland you know so this reluctance to this uh this this the this 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 uh dharma their path of doing work they they have been they're they're off track means and also their their statements of their foreign um uh, their as as you know that there are very various there are various spokespersons that they, they have for their foreign, Sir, uh foreign what is the question for giving giving advice to foreign my question is that, is uh is yes deep sir. states question? Is, is deep states gonna break or what what do you see the future of this uh, of the world hegemony in future when it comes to America and who is gonna take power in specific to America.
12: Yes. Okay. Where so what
0: you you're asking is is America going to remain the sole superpower in the world? Yes. Will they keep on controlling the world in the future? Yes. What we are what we are witnessing right now, uh, yes. in the light of the uh, events in Ukraine, what we are witnessing now is that, first of all, the Americans abandoned Afghanistan when it was no longer suitable for them. They no longer any, had any interest in the abandoned Afghanistan to yes. the Taliban. And they left behind billions, maybe, I don't know, 100 billion, maybe, worth. Yes, I don't remember sir. the exact figure. So that, More than the economy of 80, people, yes. Yes, more than $85 billion worth of weapons they left behind in Afghanistan. And the kind of weapons they left behind, you need specific training to be able to use those weapons. The Taliban don't have the training. So eventually those weapons will make their way into the hands of the ISI. So essentially they left behind a donation for Pakistan. Americans. They abandoned Afghanistan, they left behind a donation for Pakistan, and now they have also abandoned Ukraine when the Russians have invaded. So what we are witnessing right now, in real time, is the beginning of the decline of the supremacy of the West, essentially the US, in the world. The world is becoming very quickly bipolarized. It was a multipolar world until now, lots of middle powers and strong powers. Now, everything is shifting in two directions. One is the western side, the Americans and, and their, their minions. And on the other hand, we have nations like China and Russia and whoever are their their minions. And some nations are stuck in between. For instance, India, not quite sure where we can go. We need the Americans against the Chinese, but the Americans are right now being very vindictive towards India. right? And uh, the, we cannot be on the side of China because they, they want to break us up. So that's yeah. where we are right now. So we are witnessing a very rapid shifting of the geopolitical balance of power. We are witnessing the emergence of a bipolar world and we are witnessing the beginning of the decline of American hegemony over the world. 20 years from today, it is quite unlikely that America will be in the same position where it is today. It may have declined significantly and so so would have Europe possibly. Europe could be at war, who knows? So we are witnessing these events in real time. So we are witnessing the decline of the West. All right.
10: How how decisive does the position of president becomes when it comes to geopolitics around the world? Means of,
0: okay, how many because, additional sir, questions do you have, sir? Yes.
10: No, sir. I have just one one request for you. Americans, Native Americans.
0: If you have suggestions or requests, please put them in the comments below.
10: Okay, sir. All right. Thank you. Thank bye. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Bye.
0: Okay. Let us bring in Mr. She, Shekhar. Hello.
8: Hello, sir. Huge respect for you, first of all.
11: Thank you, on your,
8: Thank you. I'm on your channel for the first time. And, uh, nice I'm to meet from, you. Yeah, I'm from Bangalore. I'm a software engineer. Uh, my question is regarding uh, the realities of the life. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, for the last like, uh, one, one and a half year, I've been uh, uh, like going through a lot of articles and uh, going through a lot of podcasts, some documentaries on this concept of uh, theory of simulation. So I want to know your views. Are we really into a simulation? I have spoken to some religious person also about it. I have spoken to some some atheist people uh, people also about it. But they they all have different different views. Like in the Indian in the Hindu theology also, there is something called Maya. Sub Maya, Maya hai. The same kind of concept mm-hmm. is like you know, ke, it's a, like uh, we are into a simulation. So, what is what what is your yes. views on on this?
0: Yeah, yeah, very good question. The thing is, if you are inside a simulation, so what is the simulation hypothesis? It means that let's say you have a very powerful supercomputer that you can program. So if it is powerful enough, you can create life in that supercomputer that evolves on its own. You can create an entire universe inside that, a simulated universe. And then you may see the emergence of stars, planets, even life there. So that is the like, simulation like, hypothesis.
8: Like creating a game and giving artificial intelligence to that the character yeah. inside the game.
0: Yeah. Exactly. If your computer is powerful enough, then it will be able to create artificial intelligence, artificial life, all of that inside the simulation itself. So if you are... So what it means is that we ourselves could be inside an incredibly powerful supercomputer, which is able to simulate an entire universe, our intelligence, our life, everything. And then how do we know whether we are actually inside a simulation or not? So according to this framework, Of a powerful supercomputer that can create a simulation that's this good then it is certainly possible that the universe that we see could be a simulation it is certainly possible but if you are inside it there is no way of knowing whether you are in a simulation or not there is no way of knowing it
8: yeah but but the theory of simulation gives such a strong point of view which like you know uh, like uh, matches our reality like uh, yes uh, we, we believe that our creator some people call it god our creator, we, we don't have any option to contact our creator. The similar no, okay, way, yeah, if, if, if if I create a game and I create a character in the game and provide that character into artificial intelligence, intelligence, that character will will have no means to contact me, which is his creator. Yes. So, so these kind of you know it confuses me that whether I am in simulation or whether it's a real real life.
0: There is no no need to be confused because there is no way ever that we can find out whether we are in a simulation or not. Let's say you create a game character who you have created. That game character, even if he or she is artificially intelligent, there is no way that that character can ever contact you or even know that you exist. Right? Similarly, if we are in a simulation, there is no way that we can know it. So there is no way, there is no point torturing ourselves yeah. wondering whether we are in a simulation or not but that it's character will, will be never always, know but
8: the but the character will be always confused that you know somebody would have created us and somebody is our creation we call it our, our god they call it dog something like yeah. that opposite of god yeah, yeah. so yeah that's
0: so a... the, the thing we have to remember is we, there is no way we can ever possibly find out whether we are in a simulation or not so we will never know the answer then what's the point of being confused and tortured don't think about it because there is no way we can find out there is no way we can find out. Right. Nobody has the uh, answer. Not even the brightest scientist in the world has the answer.
8: And on top of that, the movies like uh, Matrix and all, it confuses me again more. Further, I go, I feel that I'm more deep into the rabbit hole like that. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, the deeper you think, the more confused you will get. So it's up to you what you want to think. What we think is what we can control. Right.
8: Okay. Okay. Thank you. All so right.
0: It's
8: been nice talking to you. Interesting yeah. question. Yeah. Nice meeting you. Thank, nice you. Meeting thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Uh, have a
0: good day. Bye. Thank you, bye. OK, let's uh, bring in, whom shall we bring in? Let's bring in Sanjana, Miss Sanjana. Good evening. Hello, hey, hi. I'm, I'm
15: hi, so hi. excited to talking to you. <laughs>
0: nice nice meeting you, ma'am. Where are you from?
15: I am from Ahmedabad. And I have like okay. so many questions to ask to you. <laughs> but I one just thing, asked one.
0: one. <laughs> yeah.
15: Yeah. So, uh, one question that I have is that uh, we, as a country, India is facing like two enemies right now. One is China and one is Pakistan. But Pakistan has like so many deaths and it's under a very big like economic strain, right? So, it is going to disintegrate and break. So, is it actually a two-pronged, you know, is it actually that uh, a severe threat from Pakistan because the people inside it are, are... really in a very bad place right now correct with the whole economic strain and they're having and they're taking money from China which is like you know their interest is like death we all know that yeah we know know, Sri Lanka and things like that so you know that's what I wanted to ask about that situation that you know is it like if Pakistan disintegrates then what would that mean to India and you know about Mm -hmm. the whole things that's happening in there yeah
0: Okay, okay. Very good question. So you said we have two threats. One is China, one is Pakistan. I would say we have more than two threats. There are certain unseen threats that we don't even know about, that most people cannot see. The global order is controlled by certain forces who may not be very favorably inclined towards India. They don't want Uh India to rise, right? So there are other forces that may not be that visible and that apparent. The apparent forces are China and Pakistan. Now, Pakistan essentially is not a country that is stable on its own. It, in, usually in a country like India, the country has an army. In a country like Pakistan, the army has a country. It's the other way around. Right. So if the army is neutralized, the country will disintegrate. They don't have anything in common which holds them together apart from the army keeping them together. Of course, they have a common religion. But as you know, there is a lot of strife even within that that religion inside the country and, and so on and so forth. So Pakistan, it is held together. Right. It was held together for many decades by the Americans. They were supporting, funding, financing Pakistan for various purposes. Now the Americans no longer have a use for Pakistan. Now the Chinese are using Pakistan and both these countries have used Pakistan to destabilize India. The Americans were funding Pakistani terrorism in India for decades. Now the Chinese are doing the same thing. They want to keep India counterbalanced by using Pakistan as the the stick to beat India with. So if India wants to solve the Pakistan problem, it needs to also solve the China problem. So India has two visible threats. But it also has certain unseen threats that uh, if we can't see, we can't talk about. So India, I mean, the world is very complex. India has multiple challenges. The solution for India, as I keep saying, is to grow its economy, become a major power. Then once you are strong enough, powerful enough, the Chinese will be scared of you and they will respect you. And then we can deal with Pakistan also. So that is the solution which we need to implement in the next 10-20 years. All right?
15: Yeah, Yeah, I think I get it.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Nice meeting yeah. you. Thank you.
15: Yeah. Bye. Same here.
0: Okay, let's take one final question. Let's take one final question. Whom shall I bring in? There are 10 people waiting. I'm so sorry, guys. Only one will be picked. Let's bring in Mr. Saith Oh. Hello. Hello, sir. Yes,
10: sir. sir Where I'm are
9: you actually from? I'm actually from Gujarat, but I'm hmm? proper based on Andhra, based from Andhra Pradesh
0: okay hmm. so
9: sir my i am actually a teenager and looking at the situations right now happening in russia and ukraine and the major point is that india needs to be very economically at a higher state so to be hmm. uh, considered as a very stable and powerful country so being i am actually getting worried about my future uh, because i am a teen so i'm i'm thinking of prospects future prospects to which i can look for in the future so my question is i'll actually read the question my question is: What should an ideal teen, what should ideally be Indian teen Indian teenagers look aim for in their future? Like which sectors or which type of uh, which type of job opportunities should they look for, keeping both the aspects of uh, success for themselves and and also contributing to the uh, uh, contributing to the contributing to the sector India. Uh, India becoming a superpower, like
0: that. Good, good, good. Very good question. So you know what? Every teenager, every human being is different. Everybody has certain strengths, certain weaknesses, certain aptitudes and certain things they can't do. So I don't know you personally, right? Because I have seen you only for 30 seconds. So yes. I don't know what are your strengths, your aptitudes, your likes, your dislikes. Every person is unique and uh, you all have, everybody has certain strengths. So what every teenager needs to do is try to understand yourself, find out what are your strengths, Work on those strengths and make those strengths stronger, right? So let's say, I'm just guessing, let's say you're good at software development or you're good at coding, let's say. Then acquire as many skills as possible in that field. You will have to go through the education system, get whatever degrees because that's the way the world works. But in the 21st century, what really matters is real skills that you can really use to build things in the real world. So acquire skills as much as possible and... and make sure that once you are out of the education system, spend the, at least the first 10 years of your adult life developing yourself financially and, and gaining as much experience and skills as possible. So the first 10 years, at least, don't, think, don't worry about the family, the country, all that. Focus on yourself. Because if you bring yourself to a higher level where you can make a real difference, then you can really help the country. Let's say you are earning 1 lakh rupees a month and you want to give 10% to the country, you can give only 10,000. But let's say you're earning $1 million a month, you can give much more. So f- make yourself strong enough where you can do that. So at least 10 years out of out, after you're out of the education system, focus on yourself only, on your career, on your experience, on your growth. Then when you are experienced enough, then you can contribute something to the country. So that's a, a broad roadmap I could give you, right? So by contributing, okay. you mean by taxes or something like that? Anyway, way you can maybe by taxes or maybe by starting a new company in india or maybe by doing something contributing investing. in some in, in, the, in investing or in some uh, economic sector or whatever you can once you once you have spent 10 years gaining experience you will know what it means to contribute exactly
9: right yes thank you sir thanks for choosing me
0: all right the last one nice meeting you thank you thank you thank you Okay, people, people, this is the end of today's session. I apologize to the people who are waiting. I'm very sorry, very sorry. It's always, (laughs) I'm never gonna run out of people. Shall I bring in one last person? Okay, let's bring in Mr. Vikas. Last, final. Hello. And he's gone. Hello, sir. Sorry. Not gonna happen. Okay, anyway. Let's bring in one more person. Let's bring in Sapna, Miss Sapna.
14: Sorry. Hello, sir. How are you doing? (laughs)
0: I'm doing very well.
14: I'm just so excited. I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity. <laughs>
0: I'm not a celebrity. Okay, very. Fun, I
14: already think that way. <laughs> All right, sir. I'm from America. I've been watching your mm. podcast for quite a while, and I've showed my brother as well. Uh, mm. everything that you say is very interesting and it's probably some of the most clearest information I've ever received. Um thank you. My question, sir, is that you've talked a lot about, you know, India's um political advances strategy successes and fails through you know russia china many parts of asia middle east europe america but what wh- how do you see india when it comes to let's say places like south america or africa um for example like um i've recently read that possibly china is extending its hands in the caribbean where barbados was a uh, uh, you know, it used to be under the um, imperial rule of of England, and they then they got their independence, but there was still a commonwealth under U- um, UK. And uh, they had, um, they, you know, like they recently now are no longer commonwealth, they're a republic. But many UK representatives are kind of upset, they think that China's pushing out UK's influence, and now China's in- influence is over there. So but so how do you see India's influence in the future? And how do you see this play out? In yes, South America in the question, Caribbean so. islands or in, or
0: in South or in Africa that's a very good question so you find you will always see this uh, this tussle this this uh uh this vying and jousting for influence all across the world among the major powers so in the past what you had was the anglosphere dominated the world it was the British Empire first and now you have the American uh, the American superpower. The American the US is also an empire in a sense. We call it a superpower, but it's an empire. It has interests all across the globe, it has influence all across the globe, commercial interests, financial interests, economic interests, and so so much so much more. And that is also something you we see in South America, in the Caribbean, in Africa. Now, what you are witnessing in the last 10 years or so is that the Chinese are making inroads into the south american sphere into brazil into argentina they are setting up industries there they are um, they are uh, w- tying with uh, tying up with the government in various sectors they are also focusing greatly in investing in africa they are setting up industries in africa they are essentially buying out african countries buying mines buying commercial estate and much more and yes. it's essentially a no contest when it comes to Africa because the Europeans and the Americans don't have don't seem to have much of an interest there. And Africa is so resource rich, so oh, the, so the yes. Chinese are moving there, and they are they are essentially taking over the continent. The Africans can see it, but as long as you the Chinese, like uh, like somebody said, they are very adept at the art of the bribe. They can essentially purchase entire countries by bribing the right people. So that's what's happening. When it comes to India, India is doing none of these things thus far. India is still a small economy, $3 trillion. And yeah, if you look I see at India, India doesn't a... try
14: to bribe many countries. Uh, and not bribing, but I see that India doesn't really do a whole lot of like... Um... I'm not even to say propaganda, but we we unfortunately don't try to promote ourselves on a wide scale culturally. It's very ground root work. It's very much people like you and myself and other people that are trying to promote India, trying to spread our culture, you know, all the positives and things like that. But it's it you don't see like wide scale stuff from the Indian government promoting India, so,
0: so what's yeah, so what's lacking first of all is is an effective diplomatic outreach. India's diplomatic core, If you look at it, it's 1,700 strong. We have in India 1,700 diplomats, which is smaller than the diplomatic core of Singapore. So for some reason, India hasn't even uh, onboarded sufficient diplomats to have a proper proper outreach with all the countries in the world. So that's one sphere in which we are so lacking so so visibly. So what India needs to do is we need to onboard people into the diplomatic core from various uh, backgrounds scientists, uh, engineers, uh, p- people from the academic uh, sphere, international relations, and much more. And that's what we could use to to do an effective outreach with different countries in Africa, in uh, South America, and so on. And India hasn't taken the initiative to do that. India also hasn't established trade relations or or uh, investment relations in South America and all in Africa. We know that there's, there are so many resources there. So for some reason, India has thus far not done enough in this aspect. The Chinese have stolen a march over India. So that's something we need to address soon. So
14: I recall that when um, India, during the pandemic, it did a lot of work, like in, you know, humanitarian aid and also sending a lot of vaccine to South Africa and also to Brazil. I mean, some of the poorest country got it for free. Some of the other folks, you know, they had to pay for it. But still, it was faster than getting Pfizer and Moderna which you know you you know that you have to keep in certain sub-zero temperature, which not every country has the faculty to do that for their millions and millions of citizens. So, do you think like India needs to do more? Um, is it more outreach, or is it also like you said, like China is buying up land? You know, doing all this uh, factory and promotion and and uh, business-wise. Like, what what what, um, what 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 leg can we stand on?
0: We need to do everything. We need to have the kind of outreach you just mentioned. You know, humanitarian assistance. We also need to send our uh, to send our entrepreneurs to to invest in various countries across the world. In South America, set up shop there. Set up shop in Africa. And we need a more effective diplomatic policy to have a proper ties with various countries and their leaders, their elite, and so on. So we can you have people to people contacts. We can have Indian entrepreneurs go into various African countries, set up businesses there. And uh, India can benefit from that, even in South America. So there's a whole lot that can be explored. I mean, the sky is the limit,
14: right? Because right, I see that like many South African and South American nations. Th- I mean, not of course every country wants to be prosperous, and but that doesn't. They don't seem like they're all very much geared towards war and taking power in a, an extremely aggressive and re- regressive way. You know, compared to as you were saying, many other European influence. I mean, yes, America likes to say that we are our own country, and not that they are not, but again, they're also under the power of influence of their ancestors, of how they were, of how they did things, you know. So I do see that in the future, India can have very friendly relationship with many South um, American and African countries. Uh, it was just curious as to how we can reach out and what we what can do. Yeah, like I
0: said, we need to have a multi-pronged outreach. We can use all of our strengths to reach out to various countries and establish all kinds of relations. Okay. All right. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Nice meeting you.
14: Thank you, you too, sir. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, ladies, gentlemen, friends, everybody, this is the end of today's session. It was very interesting. And I will see you very soon. All right. All right. Take care, everybody. And we shall continue doing this great fun. Take care. Bye.